Out the back, there's nothing in these boxes, okay? <laughs> um, I'm Pastor Brandon this morning. If you're new with us, I'm the family pastor here at Living Word. We're so glad that you've taken time out to, to worship with us this morning and to be here. have the honor of, of speaking this morning um, on, a, on a brand new series, and, and we're happy and excited to get into this um, this this month for the new year. Um, Hope each of you, as Pastor mentioned earlier, had a great time this past week with your families, whatever that looked like. You know, I, I think a lot about people whose um, holidays are rough. Maybe you lost someone this past year. Maybe situations are, aren't just, um, aren't social media perfect, right? Um, I, I think, um, and, and care for you. Um, so I hope that you found, um, I hope that God gives you that peace. If that's you and your situation, that um, we still have the hope of a Savior with us, regardless of what that might look like, right? Amen. So I hope um, I hope you had that that peace with you this time of the year. I was a little bummed, though. Um, I'm pretty sure that when Brittany and I um, interviewed here for the position, that Pastor told us we would always have white Christmases in Rochester. I think that just kind of comes with the weather, right? And what was it, like 40, 50 degrees a couple days leading up to Christmas? So there was like a little pile, I think, out in the front yard of, of snow maybe still, but that was it. But um excited to get in this this message with you this morning. Um, I'm, I'm taking it back a couple hundred years as to start off um, the, the message this morning. And I, and I want to highlight a point about the American Revolutionary War. The The, the Revolutionary War was was interesting. It was one of the um, big biggest examples of a David versus Goliath story, right? If you remember from history class, that that really that's ever played out. Um, it pitted the vast military might of an empire, the British Empire, against this ragtag group of citizen sh- um, soldiers, right? Uh, the militiamen of the colonies. They they were largely untrained. They had no navy. And they had almost no artillery. But out of the stranglehold of this overseas monarch, right, the colonists found this uniting motivation. And that, of course, we all know was a desire for freedom, the desire for liberty. Had the colonies not united for this common goal, had they not come together for this one ultimate purpose, None of them singularly could have won. The colony of Rhode Island certainly wasn't taken on the British Empire, right? No one on their own was going to be able to stand against these, this empire. But united with one goal for this common desire for liberty, they achieved the impossible. You, you have to think a lot about the, the, the loss that they faced, though, uh, uh, the colonists did. As they struggled through um, these, these battles, what, what kept them from just packing up and going home and going back to the status quo? What kept them um, engaged in battle, engaged in fighting for that goal? The, the dismal odds of victory were certainly stacked against them, right? They, it, it, they, they were not um, sure winners in, in, the, in the, that war. But what kept them united, I believe in part, was that hope that they had for freedom, what they were fighting for. They were united and stayed the course because of that hope. Church, in that same way, you and I are members of a body, the body of Christ, 
and we have access to the hope of a risen Savior. Amen? And regardless of our differences, as we come into this place, our differences in other areas, our political leanings, our personal preferences, the central rallying cry as the body of Christ for us um, and the, the gospel-centered, spirit-filled believer is simply Jesus. We can put aside the list of things that I mentioned uh, when it comes to uniting for the ultimate purpose of Jesus. Amen? Are right, you hear me on that this morning? In many ways in the church, the individual works for the greater success of the whole. Think about that for a minute. The individual works for the greater success of the whole, the big C church. Now, there are areas where this idea breaks down a little bit because we know very much from Scripture how much God cares about each of us personally, right? We, we know this concept breaks down a little bit because God is um, um, intimately interested in our personal hearts, but think about the but think about the organization we know as the church. Okay, not I'm not talking Living Word Church. I'm talking about worldwide Big C Church, the Church of God. It's made up of individuals from every walk of life, every country in the world, every um, every color of person, from a variety of so, um, cultural political, social, economic walks of life. Listen, if you, this is one reason I'm going to pause here. This is one reason if you've never been able um, to go on a missions trip and, and are, are still able to do that, I want to strongly encourage everyone at some point to go on a missions trip. And let me tell you why. I love seeing the church in a different part of the world. You know why? Because they don't do church like we do church here in Ontario, New York, right? And that's okay. That's okay. But their, their passion and their love for the Lord is, is evident regardless of what that looks like. So I want to encourage you uh, sincerely on that if you've never been to, and, and are able to, to consider um, going and experiencing that. I think there's something powerful of seeing our brothers and sisters around the world in Christ, right? And understanding that even though there's these things that separate us, you know, by color or whatever, um, that we're worshiping the same, the same God. So we're all part of the body of Christ. And we hear this described, um, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you familiar with that section. This whole chapter walks through how each individual believer is a necessary member of the church. Big C church. The verse 27 at the end of that chapter. Now you are the body of Christ. And each of you is a member of it. Couldn't be more clear, right? Each of you is a member of of the body of Christ. We are individual members of something much greater than ourselves. I don't know about you, but to me, that's exciting, right? That we, we get the opportunity to be a part of that. Um, so now getting over here to these boxes of things. Um, many of you know, uh, this past year, I've begun the process of, of becoming a beekeeper. Uh, maybe you didn't know that. Um, both my grandpa's Kept bees and, and passed that down to my dad. And my brother's also a beekeeper now in Illinois. And uh, my 11 year old son, Ethan, this year uh, decided that he wanted to also do it. He's coming at it though, like a business venture. He thinks he's going to, you know, become a millionaire or something from, <laughs> from selling honey. I don't know. But, um, so I'm supporting him in it. I, 
can I be honest with you about something? I still don't really like bees yet, I think. Um, I don't like the idea of getting stung. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but that is something that I'll get used to. Um, but again, don't worry. There's no bees in here. <laughs> My Reagan six-year-old asked me on the way um, when I was bringing this. She said, Dad, are there bees in those boxes? <laughs> There's nothing in here yet. So don't, don't, don't worry about that. But I warn you, church, because I've done this now, you'll probably hear random bee knowledge every time I've preached on a Sunday now, okay? So I apologize in advance for that. But um, as I was thinking through this message this morning and this idea of you and I being a bigger part of the whole of the Big C Church, I couldn't help but think of the beehive colony and the incredible way that God created this living organism to operate. Um, so there can be anywhere from 20,000 up to 80,000 individual bees in a single beehive colony. This is a single, this would be hypothetically a single colony of bees. Um, and yet, and yet every single honeybee in a colony works for the success of the colony, not for itself. While each type of honeybee you have Drone bees, worker bees, and a queen bee. While each of those types of bees in a colony have distinct roles, do you know that every single bee sacrifices immensely for the overall good of the colony, uh, the overall good of the hive? Let me, let me explain. In defense of the hive, a honeybee has no natural instinct to preserve its own life. Let me say that again. The honeybee has no natural instinct to preserve its own life. Here's why, let me explain. Here's why I say that. When a honeybee has to sting to defend the hive for what it perceives as a threat to the hive, um, the honeybee dies every time. Did you know that? Every time a honeybee stings. Now, guys, that's not the case with wasp, okay? <laughs> if you're going to attack by a wasp, just run away, okay? Um, they'll keep stinging you until something else happens. But a honeybee dies every time. Every time. Um, it's stinger, when it's, it's planted in the victim, they're like bars on the end that don't allow it to come out. Like barbs on the end. And it actually pulls out some of the internal organs of the honeybee and kills it every time. But even in giving its life, listen to this, even in giving its life, the honeybee is still looking out for the good of the hive. Here's why. There's a pheromone left behind in the stinger of the, of, that's in the victim, right? That, whose aroma draws other honeybees to that sting. So the bees come, they check out that hive, they smell that aroma, they check it out. If there's still a threat, guess what? More bees sting. That's why, that's why it's, uh, victims sometimes have been stung multiple times, okay? Um, all that to say, if needed, more bees will sting. This happens until the threat to the colony is neutralized. The bees have no natural instinct to preserve their life. Everything they do is for the success of the hive, for the hive to continue. The drones, the only male bees in the hive, they're freeloaders. All they do is um, eat and mate with the queen. They also give their lives for the success of the hive. Every winter, every winter, uh, because there's a, there's a, um, only a certain amount of food available during the harsh winter months, the, the worker bees kick out all the drones, most of them. They kick them out of the hive. And the drone bees wander and starve and die. Every winter, they're kicked out of the hive. 
There's simply not enough food to feed them. But but here's what I'm getting at with all this random bee knowledge. You can thank me for later. The success and health of the hive is more important than their individual survival. The success in the hive of the whole is more important than their individual um, success. It's a concept that, that may sound morbid, but with the direct ties to also a missions-focused church. There are countless stories, um, church of missionaries, pastors, believers around the world in extreme places, martyred for their faith. And, and that's a hard thing to talk about. But we've, also, we've, we've see, often seen through history that when persecution of believers happens, a harvest of souls, guys, is, is often close behind that persecution. Missionaries go around the world, often with the understanding they may face immense persecution, immense opposition, but they still go. Understanding that their greater purpose for the body of Christ um, may be to give their life if necessary. Because the instruction to take the gospel to the ends of the earth doesn't stop at only if it's safe, right? There are dozens of other examples of, of unity that can be given, whether that's in battle or on a sports field um, and an animal group such as the hive, or for our purposes this morning in faith, where the subject of moving forward in a common goal becomes impossible without unity, so we're talking about unity this morning um, and, and the, the reason and purpose uh, for it in the body of Christ. With, so this morning, with an incredibly optimistic outlook uh, for, for the days ahead of Living Word, we're excited um, to kick off um, a month-long prayer and unity initiative we're calling um, Vision 2020. And we're going to task each and every person who calls Living Word home We're going to task each of you to join together in praying and believing for the days ahead of our church, to for God's mission to continue in and through us. Amen? We don't believe that God is done with Living Word or done with Wayne County, done with our area. We believe there's more for us to do as a church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ruth. Let me give you a quick quick rundown of how this is going to work. All right. In your bulletins this morning, as you came in, you should have also received that insert. Pull out that insert. Take a look at it. Um, each week, each Sunday morning through the month of January, starting today, um, we are going to provide you with a brand new devotional for each week. All right. On, on those, on that devotional, there's going to be a scripture emphasis included for each day of that week. There's going to be a prayer focus for each day, um, uh, all themed around the, the common theme for that week. And there's going to be a couple of questions that you can also go through. Our, our, the idea is that we'll start this Wednesday. For this week, all right, since we're not quite to January yet, for this week we're going to start on Wednesday the 1st. And um, we're going to have a new devotional then for you each day for the month of January based on, like I said, that theme for the week. Guys, we're making every effort as a church to come together and do this as a church family. Our um, our Tuesday night prayer groups, our Wednesday night Bible study, um, some of our Acts groups, our other groups are all going to be focusing on these themes for the week. If you if you lead an um, adult group of some kind or, or have a Bible study, I want to encourage you to look at these um, devotionals and to try to incorporate that into what you're doing. If you're doing family devotions, 
actions, whatever, uh, whatever that looks like for you. I want to encourage you maybe to incorporate, um, these into, into those devotions. If you, if you're doing a devotion with your spouse or significant other, look, check out these devotion maybe and, and again, incorporate that into what you're doing. There, there, there is power, I believe, when we come together, uh, for a focused, um, devotion like this, a focused, uh, purpose, right? That's what we're talking about this morning and do this as a church family. So I want to encourage each of you to join with us as, as we do that. We're going to also be providing these, um, in a digital format. Okay. We'll send those out by our weekly email. If you, on that note, if you are not getting our weekly email, just make sure, um, you can email us at info at livingwordag.com, right? We'd be happy to add you to that email list. You can also fill out the, um, update my info card that's in front of you in the seat and just let us know you want to be added to that, um, email list. Okay. A couple different things you can do for that. But our sincere hope, as I was saying, through Vision 2020, is that we'll be unified in a new and fresh way as living word moves forward together. In the New Testament, you know, Paul, I I think, really understood the importance of a unified body of believers. Um, He was living under, at this time, he was living under house arrest in Rome, and Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, uh, which is a, a city in modern-day Greece, uh, through the book, uh, through the letter of, of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Um, you can look ahead. We'll be looking at Philippians 1.15 if you've got your Bibles. It'll also be on the screens for you this morning or on your phones if you've got the digital, the Bible app. The beginning of the book starts with a situation that seems a little odd, right? But we come, we become aware of, of something uh, that's happening. And it seems a couple of other teachers or preachers were, we're not really sure. They were, um, preaching and teaching in the area with these incorrect motives somehow. And we're going to read, Paul's going to explain what I mean there. He says this in Philippians 1 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. It seems that there were those um, speaking the gospel after Paul's um, house arrest um, in a wrong the spirit are completely wrong motivation to in an attempt to either discredit Paul or elevate themselves, right? They were hoping for their own platform now that this big dog Paul, right, was was a little out of the out of the scene. Can you imagine the scenario? Here here Paul's a prisoner in his own home only for the crime of preaching Christ. All right, and others jump at the chance for the spotlight. Wow. Good job, guys. They're, they're hoping that by tearing down Paul, right, and that their, their own name would be lifted. That's what they're hoping. And so this situation, along with him being under house arrest, seemed to be, uh, the impetus for a broader conversation that Paul sees, uh, the need for, and this message of unification. This message of unity. Later on in Philippians in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes some of the more impactful words on the subject. Listen to this. This is chapter 2 now, Philippians verses 1 and 2. 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being, listen to this, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Listen to all these statements. Let's recap those real quick. Listen to these statements in these verses related to the subject of being united. Number one, united with Christ. Guys, can you think of the strength? Can you imagine the strength that you and I would have of being on the same page as a savior of the world? Think about that for a minute. United with Christ to have his purpose, to have his heart for people. The Greek word used here um, for the phrase united with can also be translated um, using the English word for simply in, I-N. Being completely together, bonded, you and I as followers of Jesus are united in him. In the NIV, the next section of the verses 1 and 2 says, if any common sharing in the spirit. The Greek word here is one of the most recognizable Greek words Koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. You've probably heard that one before. Maybe not. Other other versions say uh, fellowship in the spirit. Koinonia references this powerful relationship we have in the body of Christ to act as one united group of people. And the impact, not only that, but also the impact we can have when we operate that way. One of the most powerful segments of scripture on this subject of koinonia comes from Acts 2.42. Listen to this, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Guys, if that's not the ideal representation of the church in unity, I don't know what is. I love, absolutely love this picture from scripture of the church united. And finally, from the end, hopping back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, a third um, phrase here on unity. It says, being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit of one mind. From these phrases this morning, I want to I talk briefly about what unity um, is not. And let me, let me, from the other angle, let me talk about a couple things I, I think unity is not. Unity is not a robotic sameness. Right? We don't expect everybody to come into Living Word each week wearing the same thing, right? And, and looking the same way and speaking the same. We don't expect that. There is room in the body of Christ. Let me just give you some assurance here this morning. There is room in the body of Christ for differing opinions, for differing taste, for differing preferences. We have to realize that everyone walks through the door of Living Word with different backgrounds with different life experiences, right, that have shaped who each of us are. We cannot and do not expect that we all mold to be the same person. How boring would that be, right? How boring would that be if we were all the same person? In fact, 
um, from Philippians 2, having the phrase, having the same love, the author uses the word agape there. You've also probably heard that Greek word, right? Agape. When you, that's used with love, it means this God-style right, love, right? This God love. An agape love looks past the things, I believe, that separate us, looks past those things, and welcomes each other into the koinonia of Christ. From that starting point, each of us learns then, here's, here's a key point, from that starting point, each of us then learns what parts of ourselves we need to surrender to Christ, right? But there's grace through that process. There's grace there. Secondly, I do not believe unity means that we lose our uniqueness, right? Often in our desire, I think, to be um, self-sufficient, we, we scoff against anything that means I lose my ability to do what I want. Of course, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. But unity does not mean you drop your individuality at the door when you walk in. However, the Greek uh, in the phrase, being one in spirit of one mind, does imply some action. It implies action. So you and I purposefully look for ways to unite ourselves in spite of our individual selves, right? We look for ways to unite ourselves. That takes action. That takes, that takes some work. The next verse is key on that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So instead, church, instead of driving for what I want, instead of doing what I think is best, I could instead what's do good. I could instead do what's best for the group. I could instead do what would be best for the body of Christ. Is there a need within the body that, that, that I could fill, that I have unique talents and gifts to fill? Maybe it would cause me some sacrifice. Yikes. Maybe it would cause me some sacrifice, but maybe that's what unity would require. In another key section of scripture on unity, we move to John chapter 14 to read what is recorded as Jesus' last prayer before being taken to trial. Of course, before his crucifixion. His last prayer, this is chapter um, John chapter 17. After praying for himself and what he's about to endure on the cross, Jesus surprisingly prays for his disciples um, and you and I, and then lastly, for the unity of believers. Isn't that an interesting way that Jesus decides to end um, that, that kind of last recorded prayer of his? For the unity of believers. There's got to be a, a powerful reason for that, right? There's got to be a reason why he went there. This is what he says, John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Powerful stuff there. What, what, what seems to be more of a focus uh, of this section um, towards the end especially is what happens, what happens when the world sees a unified body of, of believers. 
This is repeating uh, verse 23 in that section. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, Church, there is something powerful, I believe, uh, that draws people to, to the church when they see this true koinonia, right? This true unified koinonia. When a group of people walk together in true unity uh, and, and there's tons of grace given for each other's faults, right? There's loads of love and forgiveness dished out. And because a unified church loves each other deeply, there's also room for us to call each other out when we sin without offense being taken. This type of unified koinonia this type of unified koinonia um, is going to be noticed by the world when we walk together um, and this level of unity. Th- this, this unity in action was boldly on display in another account from Scripture, this time in the Old Testament story of Nehemiah. In the book of the same name in the Old Testament, Nehemiah takes on this holy project to rebuild um, the destroyed sections of the wall around Jerusalem. Of course, the Israelites, um, um, the land of Israel had been captured by the Babylonians and the Israelites had been forced to, to work as servants in exile. Many, many Israelites, Israelites though, um, at, at the end of this um, um, time had, had been allowed to return to Jerusalem. But many of these protective walls and gates around the city, right, had been destroyed. Had They'd been ransacked. And they, many of them sat in ruins. So Nehemiah feels led by the Lord to rebuild these sections, right? Some of you know the story. And so he sets off, Nehemiah sets off to do just that. In the process, he helps to unite a, a people uh, of Jerusalem in this righteous project. The entire chapter, what's interesting about this story, the entire chap, um, chapter of Nehemiah 3, all it does is it lists through the different peoples, all right, and what sections of the wall that these people uh, rebuilt. It says, you know, this clan rebuilt this gate, this, this tribe rebuilt this gate, this, this people rebuilt this section. And in doing so, all these groups came together to help uh, begin a new era of strength for the people of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, led by the Lord to rebuild the wall, unites a broken and scattered people, tired and wore out from a generation in captivity and exile. On the topic this morning, the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall has one major key point that I want to, to emphasize here. Church, a unified people are stronger and even a safer people. A unified people are stronger and even safer. At some point, the people around Jerusalem realized that they would be much safer working together in a unified way to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah was incredibly wise in the way he recruited help. Here's, here's what he did. See, he would go to the people. Um, it seems as though he went to the people um, nearest to the sections that were destroyed, all right, and, and tasked them with rebuilding the section closest to their homes, closest to their areas. So what, so they had a vested interest, right? 
and in rebuilding the section or the gate that was near to their home. Because, of course, if an attack came from the outside, the, the, they're going to go to the places of the wall that are already destroyed, the, the gates that are already weak, and they, of course, would be um, um, susceptible to, to the first attack. So Nehemiah goes to them and, and gets them to work together to rebuild the section closest to their homes. By recruiting this help from all around the wall then, he does this all around the wall. Of course, the city then was stronger as a whole because now each of these weak points had been rebuilt, had been repaired. Because they worked together as a whole, the individual homes and families were safer because the whole of the wall was repaired. Church, when we walk together in righteousness, when we join in intentional prayer as a church family, there's a sense of strength and force behind that action, behind that prayer. There's nothing uh, really mystical about it, but there's a spiritual truth to this added strength in numbers. Can you imagine the church of living word walking together in unity through prayer? Can you imagine um, the things that we that we could see um, accomplished for the kingdom because of that type of action? That's what we're challenging each of you to do with us as a church family over the month of January. I hope that you'll and pray that you'll engage with us for this this Vision 2020, this initiative. Include these devotions, as I said, as a part of your maybe a part of your family meal time. Maybe you take a couple minutes before you eat together. Again, whatever that looks like, and go through these um, daily devotionals together. You could even share these for those of you on social media. Share these on social media. Um, share with us even um, what what you've done as a family. Maybe uh, maybe answers that your kids or family have um, from these questions. Um, you know, I'm sometimes nervous to share what my kids say on social media, thinking what are people going to think. But um, maybe just have fun with it, guys. Have 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 fun with it. Get creative. However you think. Um, works best for your family. I want to encourage you to do that. As Katie and the worship team come and we close, I want to leave, um, I want to leave us with two takeaways on the topic this morning. And again, while we're praying, um, for, for this uh, powerful move of unity as a church family and to come together in a new and fresh way. First takeaway from this morning, I believe unity and action aligns us with the heart of the Father. This is on your notes in your bulletin. Unity and action aligns us with the heart of the Father. The purposeful time, guys, that you'll spend with your spouse, your significant other, your friends, your family, your kids, reading and talking through Scripture will have an effect, I believe, of renewing our minds, transforming our hearts, helping us to become more like Christ. Second Timothy 3.16 reminds us Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. When we're diving into Scripture together, we're aligning ourselves with the heart and will of the Father. I believe unity in action aligns us with the heart of the Father. Secondly, unity in prayer draws us together through focused intercession. Unity in prayer draws us together through focused intercession. Philippians 4, 6 implores us that in every situation by prayer and petition to present our request to God. 
That word petition there in, in the English is more than a simple request. All right, God, I pray for this. Amen. It's more than a simple request, that word petition. Um, some other versions use the word supplication, meaning to plea, to almost beg. Church, how often do we plead with God for the needs in our lives? How often have we, have we, do we come and God, I need, uh, I, I need you to hear me this morning. I, I pray, um, that, that through, at least through this initiative, um, we would see the, we would see the purpose in a, in a, in a, a supplication type prayer in a petition to Christ. What an encouragement to know through Vision 2020 that as a church, we're praying with hundreds of our church family for one purpose, for one goal. Through these daily focuses, it's our, it's our hope again um, that we're drawn together as a church family through this intentional intercession. Guys, I think being united with Christ is the best place for you and I to be. Amen? I think that's the best place for us to be. As we begin another year here in 2020, this coming week, another year of serving our community, of pointing pointing the lost towards Christ, another year of leading our families, I pray that we walk um, together in love and unity. It doesn't mean, of course, it doesn't mean that there won't be challenges for each of us this next year. We know that's not the case. We know there will be um, obstacles. Unity doesn't, church, unity doesn't deny the difficulties. It bonds us together in spite of them. Do you hear that? It doesn't deny the difficulties. It bonds us together in spite of them so that as a church family, we can reach out our arm to a brother and sister who's hurting and saying, you know what? We're here for you. We're one in this. We've got you. Come on. I'll help. I love you. As we close together, Katie and the worship team are going to end us in the final song. I pray that we would, um, as we sing this, we would see the unity that you and I have because of the name of Jesus. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's what all of this is about. So I, let's, let's stand together as we close in worship and remember the name of Jesus today.